Gets into Ravanelli. Ginny wants to go again. Ginny's skill gets him inside the box. Ginny nearly there. Ravanelli, goal! Hi, I'm Juninho. Welcome to the Boro Podcast. Danny Ayala made a goal scoring return to the first 11 under the Friday night lights as the Borough deservedly grab a last minute winner against the Albion. Welcome to the Borough Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Garnsey, joined this week again by James Howell and Graham Kirby. Hello, Hello lads. Borough won't face many stronger starting 11s this year than that West Brom team. Big Premier League names in the past, like Chris Brunt, Jay Rodriguez, Kieran Gibbs. But we, we more than matched them. How, how did you think we played? I mean, I was unbelievably impressed with how he played on Friday night. I thought it was a fantastic display. Um, you know, we, we were all still kind of cynical about how we're expecting the team to, to turn out, but a Friday night game at the Riverside is always one to get excited about. But I thought we, you know, West Brom scored seven against QPR the week before, so we thought I thought we'd been for a really, really tough game. But we managed to control the game perfectly. You know, there was minimal times when we were ever threatened and managed to really put a game to him and, and I think the 1-0 win as the result was, was was a bit of an insult really you know I think we battered them all game and we could have at least been 2 or 3 up even by half time never mind by full time Yeah I agree uh, first first 4 or 5 minutes looked like a carbon copy of the first half of Bristol kind of sitting really deep this kind of fascinating new approach from the midfield 3 as it has been for the last couple of games where they they're basically just kind of taking it in turns to engage the the opposition ball carrier it's putting I mean it's so much energy that, that, that they're putting in to, to make this system work but it, it's so effective like we just kind of sat deep and, and first Housen goes engages ball moves around Housen drops back down and as is good often Clayton's the one that will always sit and stay um, but it just didn't it just didn't uh, West Brom like I say we're talking literally four or five minutes and beyond then, we absolutely controlled the game. Bit of a scare on nine minutes with uh, with Flint's kind of rather awkward skewing it off off the bar. But beyond that, we we absolutely controlled it all the way through to, to half time. And like you rightly say, we we probably should have had our noses in front by then. So we reverted back to three at the back with Daniel Ayala coming in for his first league appearance of the season, um, and it worked pretty well. But all three defenders, three central defenders at the back, looking really solid, especially Dale Fry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the exception of what I just mentioned with Flint, who actually finds himself in that kind of left channel. And the reason he so awkwardly clears it onto our own bar is because he's tried to do it with his with his right foot when it's the position of the ball coming to him and where he stood would have been far more comfortable for him to have cleared with his left, but obviously wasn't comfortable to attempt it. So he's kind of awkwardly arced his right leg across to try and do it. But otherwise, like I said, it's um, it was it was solid throughout, and I thought that was actually one of two changes that Pulis made to the to the lineup. Obviously, he switched from the four three three against Bristol back to a, a, a back three three five two or five three two, however you want to look at it. And I thought, yeah, so, so bringing Ayala in straight in from the start is, I thought it was. I mean, mentioned last week the fact that. If we do go back to a back three now that Ayala's fit, will he put him straight in there? It's a big game for him to do that, and uh, like the biggest game of the season so far, and for him to kind of slot straight back in at the deep end, so to speak, I thought was was a, was a brave move. Just uh, just on that, we did spend about ten minutes questioning whether Ayala would be able to break back in, and he and he started on Friday, which I don't think any of us expected him to start before that line had come out. If it stayed as a back four, I would have been surprised to 
to see Ayala come in and, and replace Flint or Fry as it would have been. But I was I was less surprised to see him come in, given that we we were playing the the three or five at the back, whatever you want to say. And and the other was uh, due to the the effectiveness of that kind of midfield trio during the Bristol game, and the fact that after the Bristol game we had, like I mentioned last week, the longest break we'd had so far in in the season. Um, the fact that he sacrificed Wing and dropped down him back into that midfield three. I mean, Wing was an integral part of, especially the first half at, at Bristol. And it was exactly the same. The, the three midfield players were, were, were deployed in exactly the same way against West Brom. So that I thought that was another risk that he was kind of trusting someone to come in and be able to sit straight into that system, which had worked so well previously. I mean, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see Wing be rested not because I, I didn't think he performed well I thought he was superb in that system against Bristol but just the amount of energy he especially and Housen put in like it was just it was unbelievable so um, but yeah I thought I thought I thought they were kind of calculated risks from Pulis which which ultimately paid off down in down in slotted seamlessly into that system and and worked in tandem like I say with Housen bombing on forward whether that be an attack or it was engaging West Brom's attacks Thought just generally, I thought that the system that he's that he's deployed across the board just works so so well. It was intriguing to again going back to the Bristol game how he managed to generate the width because obviously in the four four two as it was at Bristol he somehow still managed to get shot and and friend forward to to generate the width which is obviously far easier when you got three at the back they're naturally kind of shoved up a bit further and wider. So yeah, he's, the fact that he's managed to do that in two fairly quick succession games and, and with two very different systems is brilliant and uh, he'd kind of add a little nod towards that in his post-match just saying how hard the players are working and how we're, we're changing the system he actually said he didn't necessarily want to use the system that he did use against West Brom that wasn't his preference but it's horses for courses at the minute were his exact words he didn't want to um, he didn't elaborate but it'd be interesting to see what, what that is yeah and the, the good side of that is that we're seeing players be able to operate in different positions and um, like George Friend has played centre back he played left wing back with Downing going into midfield, Downing's covered that left wing back so the players are getting tested in these different positions as well which is you know we've talked plenty about the the weaknesses in the squad in depth but you know the, the more players are comfortable playing in different positions and different shapes the better it is for the team and you know it, we might not have more players in the squad but we've got more players that we know can be trusted in certain positions which that versatility that he's yeah. really leaning on um, but we probably should have scored a couple more there was we weren't short of chances really especially um, in the first half there was a couple of chances for Housen with a header diving header um, Britt had a couple of good chances and then Braithwaite right on the depth of half time really should have scored from a good chance that fell to him in the corner yeah, that's that's the golden one. I thought um, I thought the house and header. I didn't really think that was looking like it was going to trouble them, even if it hadn't have hit Brit. I, I thought the way the keeper was down to eventually see it wide once it had hit Brit. I thought I'd, I I couldn't really imagine that kind of troubling him too much. The house and chance that kind of falls to him when when the balls work down the right channel. Uh, it just can't. It's just just behind where he wants it, and he's just stuttering, and that leads him to. Uh, to lay it off to Britt who's thinking and expecting like everybody else he's going to side foot it in with his left foot um, so it just catches Britt by surprise 
again, it's a it's a brilliant opportunity. But I think the Braithwaite one's the pick of the bunch. The way it's the way it's fallen to him, and and somebody with his quality, it looks like he's just snatched at it. He hasn't let it drop as far as it needed to, so he's ended up right underneath it, under moderate pressure, we'd say, from the defender. So that's the golden one. Yeah, I mean, you kind of after what we've seen from Braithwaite this season, you'd have hoped he'd have bagged that really because he's been so sort of clinically in, in, in those areas um, but for me I suppose I think that the, the house and layoff for Brit was the one that really should have been put away um, I, I don't want to sound all Tony Pulis by digging out Brit's missed opportunities here but the ball the ball from house was a little bit too much and he just kind of he just took his time with it too much I think you know he, he was hoping that it would open out into an easier easier finish than it was um, but he just let it run too far and then next thing he knows he's got West Brom's keeper right, sort of on his on his toes really and there's not much you can do so you know against against what is a sort of almost semi-Premier League opposition you know they, we were, they were really taking them apart at the Riverside which is always good always good to see I suppose Yeah and you, you look back on the highlights and it doesn't often show up but the amount of times throughout the game where we had the ball in the box and you know it, it looked like we could just there's a chance there to get a shot away and we pass it a few times and then we we don't nothing ends up coming of it. That seems to happen quite a lot. Like more more often than I've seen in many other games this season. I'm just kind of yeah. getting off your chair and be like, shoot, shoot, do something, do something. <laughs> but, yeah, there's periods when, in, especially in the late of the late late first half, where West Brom just could not get out of their box. Mm. You know, they they were just lump, hoofing up field and Clay to pick it up in the middle and just start the whole the whole move again. And it was, it was fantastic to see. It was really really good. The best compliment I can pay, especially the first half performance, is just that we made West Brom look disjointed. They didn't look like they could string a couple of passes together. We really kind of, we really disrupted how they were trying to shape, and even just the familiarity between their teammates. They just they didn't seem to be able to. There didn't seem to be any sort of coherence. And I think I said to you at half time, James, that I was worried that because we hadn't taken those opportunities that. That Darren Moore would get the team in at half time and, and they'd come out with and just, just generally be a bit more organised and be a bit more coherent and solid. And, and, and thankfully, it didn't come back to bite us, although they did obviously improve in the second half. So, Yeah, I mean, even then, I kind of think that some of their players maybe weren't, weren't at the races then. So I'm, maybe this is just me telling myself not to, be too, to, to get carried away with it. But players like Matt Phillips and, and Jay Rodriguez as well, um, one of the defendable front three. He did have a, one of their few shots on target. It was still a long-range effort, but even then, he didn't look quite at the races. The only one that really stands out from their sort of threatening point of view was, was that Dwight Gale chance, yeah. which, you know, when, when he's tearing away with just Adam Clayton just bricking it in the midfield with only him and him and uh, Randolph on that side of the pitch, you know, you, you're kind of worried for, it, worried for what's going to happen. Yeah, you but, kind of... And you had to put your house on Gale bagging that, but he just completely shanked it, so... Pulis mentioned that in his post-match as the only defensive slip as he saw. That was the only bit that he was that he was worried about. I actually thought there was an earlier example of that in the first half where they countered again after one of our corners. So I was, I was surprised to see it happen a second time in what culminated in that opportunity for Gale, which was golden. And Pulis kind of cleverly made the point after the game. <laughs> sure he got it in there that Dwight should have scored and uh, that... Dwight Gale would normally have scored that. Uh, it was a massive let-off. Um, but as you've alluded to there, one of very few chances that we allowed them to have. They only had two shots on goal in the whole match. 
uh, out of 13 in total. One of those was Jay Rodriguez from about 50 yards out, which was a bloody good shot, by the way, but uh, Randolph fairly comfortably saved it. Um, that Dwight Gale wasn't even an attempt on targets. I can't remember the other one that was. So we've kind of, out of the game in, in total, they really haven't laid a glove on us. And, and, and that's, I, I think, I, I don't, I'm not saying we should get carried away, but going back to your previous point, I think we absolutely made them look ordinary. The system we played, the way that the way the boys defended as a team, the discipline in that performance was just unbelievable and something I haven't seen from us for for so so long uh, until recently. And uh, I think I, I don't think that was an off day. I think that was us. That was us making them look that way. Yeah, I, I was just going to say. I think you know you could say we made them look normal, but I think as a neutral watching that game, I think the Borough looked very good. I think it was clear the, the work rate was so high and you know we, we, we kept them quiet all game West Brom had 62% of the possession as well that's crazy I shouldn't have told you I shouldn't have asked you to put a percentage <laughs> on it what would you have guessed like I'd have said we'd have had about 55 yeah if, yeah, yeah if, if not a little bit more just because for, I mean I don't know maybe because it was a few days ago but all I can think of in the first half is just Clayton hooning it back into the yeah. mixer well, not the mixer, but restarting play from the centre centre circle. Yeah, we look purposeful when we're in possession as well. I mean, getting it forward quickly, getting into dangerous areas, and you know that's why you get that that kind of um, distortion in perception and reality when it comes to possession stats. Yeah, well, it's that directness we were talking last week about how pragmatic he's setting them up and. Uh, maybe not setting him up but how pragmatic our style of play is and how direct it is and that doesn't necessarily mean lump it to a big man that's five yards from goal and he nods it in it's it's not about that at all there is a kind of nuance to what we're doing as well and, and what better proof of it than last Friday's game I mean you say that but that's how we won the game well, <laughs> well that's we did lump it to the big man in the six yard box and maybe that's another conversation <laughs> the fact that we shouldn't have needed that last that last minute goal and uh, in in such circumstances, to true, and and, and it's fine. Ninety second minute, you win it however you can, and there's, there's no better way to win it, really, is there? No, if it takes Danny Ayala's hand, sort of gentle cradle to get to get us there. I mean, I'm not going to complain. I'll take I'll take a gentle cradle in a, outside of the foot volley in the, in the bottom corner. <laughs> Brilliant. It's, it sounds better when you talk about it, doesn't it? But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was still a, a cracking finish in. in Good to see Ayala open his account for the season. That'll be one of double figures, I imagine. I mean, yeah, yeah, potentially. If he, if he starts getting a run, you know, him and him, even Pulis said in his post-match that, you know, he's looking for Danny Ayala and Eden Flint to score a fair few goals this season, which, which is almost a bit of a parody of himself that he wants his, <laughs> <laughs> his centre-halves to start notching. But, I mean, I yeah, don't mind. If it's going to be... Check, I've got a wager. Between the two, well, we we did ask our Twitter followers before before the season started who we thought would score more, and I think people most people preferred Aiden Flint to score more, but one apiece now is it? Yeah, in the one league, piece. game yeah. on. Danny Ayala's, I think, fiance posted on Twitter. She messaged James Arthur saying, "If uh, if Bora get promoted, and Danny scores more than eight goals, will you play at the wedding?" <laughs> <laughs> He's got upset yes to that. I don't know if he replied actually, but I'll have to, I'll have to look that up again. But uh, we saw Mo Besic come back into the team. Um, he, he came on as a sub late in the game. Um, obviously, since we last podded, he's finally signed for us on loan after a few false dawns. Uh, it's good to have him back, isn't it? 
Yeah, he got an assist and nearly broke someone's ankles. So, like... <laughs> he's back. <laughs> yeah, he's back. He's back and he's in the red, so you can't really grumble too much. Um, one of the most balmy tackles I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything that was going on, where he was, how long was left, the fact that we were 1-0 up, clinging on a bit. It was just ridiculous. He was so far away when he took, when he leapt in for that tackle. I was like, what are you doing? Brilliant. Yeah, Moore's back. That was like, that was like this season's equivalent of that... 90 yard run to the referee against Millwall that season when he didn't get his penalty <laughs> brilliant yeah, most yeah. I mean yeah. Look, again we'll, we'll, we can't really take too much on, on just that one game with the amount of time he's on the field but he's going to be a real quality addition to the midfield um, you know we, we, we all know what he can bring we all know what he does do more, more for sort of opposition's concerns really than, than ours but Brilliant, brilliant to see him finally have signed I suppose I think I thought I, I personally thought as soon as it sort of fell through on deadline day proper that it was a write off really um, he was just going to be staying at Everton for the rest of the at least until January say but you know it's brilliant to have him back he could only be a benefit for the team I suppose yeah absolutely but I find myself not entirely convinced that he has the discipline to do what house and wing Clayton and Downing have done in the last two games to be like I'm not saying he isn't disciplined but you need like quite an extreme level of discipline for that system that they've been doing and I just I can't picture him kind of storming back in once the player that he's engaged has passed it on I can't imagine him doing that kind of fast retreat to get back into line for someone else to go and but you can, can you imagine him chopping him down before he gets there <laughs> <laughs> And then seven is three games. Well, it's, yeah, yeah, and is that necessarily what's going to help in in a game that's going to be highly charged? Like Borough Leeds games are often. I mean, I know we'll come on to it in a bit, but the, the, there's often a, a kind of a pretty high level there, isn't it, tension wise? And uh, it looks like it's going to be. So far, it looks it's looking like where the where the teams to beat. So uh, one gaining a big advantage over the other on Friday night. Yeah, there's a lot of competition in that midfield now. We were already pretty stacked in that area as it is. Um, but there's no one getting in there ahead of Johnny Housen at the moment because he's been phenomenal the last few games. Probably another man of the match performance against West Brom, I think, by most people. Um, and I think that's about as fair on the spin, isn't it? He's been outstanding. Yeah, and he's obviously integral to what I've been saying already. Just the, the, the work rate, the discipline in that system... The fact that when he is the one that goes in an attacking sense, he's a, he looks a different player from last season because Clayton's given him that that backup and that uh, that kind of protection to allow him to go. And it's like the shackles are off, isn't it? You see him and Downing at times in the first half, especially both of them going forward, and Clayton's happy to sit and just mop up after them. And uh, it's brilliant. He's been absolutely superb getting in the box. That kind of late arrival in the box, obviously everyone's expecting the net to bulge with that one but and credit to him because he, he got his fair share of criticism last year and perhaps didn't settle quickly in what was an ever-changing system team formation um, so it's good to see that uh, now that we've got a kind of a way we're playing and he's he's really kind of benefiting from that isn't he well I think that's the thing I remember you Adam turned to me at the Millwall game and said what does Housen do <laughs> and we both sort of stood there and watched him for about must have been 10, 10, 15 minutes and we, we still couldn't decide, you know, what what's his role, what's he trying to do? And obviously that was the same with every player under Monk, but 
I don't know what's happened in the past, past three weeks, but now you can see exactly what he's done to do. Everything is purposeful and everything is uh, efficient as well and, and needed for the team. And he just seems to be absolutely blossoming in the, in the system at the moment, you know, even whether it is the the three at the back and the influence that I have on the midfield, you know, he is still applying himself properly and effectively as well. Um, and I just hope that he can add, add, add a few more goals to his game because... You know, he's, he's always renowned as a bit of a goal-scoring midfielder. So, you know, hopefully that'll come with time. Do you, do you think this, you know, the, the the problem of not getting enough goals from midfield is is as big as an issue when you've got your centre-back scoring so many? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't really mind if, if, if the centre-backs or the defenders score as much as the midfielders, really. It's just as long as the strikers are consistently scoring, which admittedly they're not at the moment. Well, I suppose Braithwaite is a little bit, but... You know, Brit Brit's still not. I mean, what's he scored once in in four or five games? Which isn't isn't what you want from your return from your forwards? But I don't I don't see the whole issue of sort of centre back scoring goals as being any kind of lesser goals and twice yeah. Bristol and Birmingham. Sorry, <laughs> I nodded when you said it, but then I started thinking about it. <laughs> and another debutant who came on against West Brom was Jordan Hugill, who's probably back a bit sooner than we expected. Um, he came on for his debut and then he did start midweek this week against Rochdale as well got his first goal for the club do you think he can challenge Britt in that position and do you think he's knocking on the door already uh, yes and no respectively yes absolutely there's no no chance he's come here to, to to not challenge Britt and to not get his fair share of games and goals and see he's hungry but last night after the Rochdale game which I know we'll come on to shortly. The they were talking as much. They were talking about if anything, it's still a bit early. He's still working really hard, but he's he's not up to full match fitness. Um, and he he himself said it. He said he's putting a hell of a lot of effort in trying to get back up to the level, but uh, he's he's not quite he's not quite there. So um, so maybe West Brom came a bit soon for him. Hence, kind of a fairly limited cameo. But uh, send him to Austria for a week <laughs> with, a, with a bike. Personal pulist trip in the. Uh, in the international break on my mountain run um, <laughs> yeah I mean I think he will be and I think we all really kind of want to see him do quite well not not that any of us particularly dislike Brit but it's just, just the, the, the hometown hero sort of scenario on it but I think he has shown already that he can be a handful up front and you know, he's already proved in this, proven at this level before he came, came to join us that he can score goals at this level um, but I think from, from his short, short cameo from what I saw on Friday night, he he did just look a little bit lumbersome, and maybe it was that match sharpness he was lacking. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't be completely surprised to see him start at Leeds. Which seems a bit of a bold prediction, but I do think he'll be in and amongst it, um, if not as soon as to to see him starting games by the end of September. I was interested in Brit's reaction to being substituted off. Um, not that I'm expecting any player to be kind of overjoyed to see his number go up but he, he seemed really like irritated and, and moody about it as though I can't help but read between the lines with stuff like that and you just think he, he plays a smile on his face doesn't he so it's you know to see a play, player who's usually smiling all day long come off looking so frustrated like that you kind of you know you do look into those things and just I suppose this repeated fuelist digging him out all the time and you just I don't <laughs> know if there's some of there but but ultimately, for us, 
for the club, for the team. We want them both in a good place, both firing, both chomping at the bit to be getting a go, and both a bit like uh, Bamford and Britt had. They weren't both always playing together, but they obviously had a great rapport. They would seem like pretty good mates from all the social media stuff, and you want them both to be firing, don't you? Can't can't just have one bloke up there all season, so I need to try and get back to that. Yeah, let's quickly talk about the the win at Rochdale. So. The biggest talking points are the team, obviously. Um, interestingly, Ayala, McNair, Besic, Ledbetter, Tavernier, Hugo, Fletcher, they all started and they've all got league minutes this season. So this wasn't a weak team. or There was, there was more young faces in there than, than usual, but there's still a lot of experience in that team and a lot of people knocking on the door. Was that side stronger than you were expecting? Uh, no, I think it was pretty much pretty much on the on the nose really they're, I mean you say they've all had minutes but they're, they're not regulars they're not starters they're all well, I think Ayala and McNair are the probable exceptions Besic? Yeah, yeah sorry yeah of course um, we're just generally they're, they're players that haven't been wholly involved so Besic you think I'm not entirely sure what sort of a pre-season he had with Everton but obviously he came in very shortly before the Leeds game I'm not surprised to see him getting some minutes so he can just get minutes um, get used to how we're playing yeah I mean that, that's that's kind of pretty self-explanatory really Ayala obviously had a bit of an injury layoff not a full pre-season comes back at fairly short notice against West Brom obviously he got a run out in uh, against Notts County in the previous round so he's now had he's getting back up to speed quickly um, but then I mean like McNair obviously also had the injury so although I know he's not just come back from it but he hasn't had much of a run in the first team since so he's just getting these players back up to the level Is it, that's how I read it anyway and the others you kind of lead bitters to Verniers um, the kind of the, the Fletchers Johnsons they've all been in and around the match day squad but then, again they're not getting a lot of minutes so it, it just that's that's the opportunity for them to play and keep keep that level up so that if and when they are called upon they're ready really yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely agree. We agree with Graham's point there. It was purely completely making the most of these midweek games against low opposition. It was almost like preseason friendlies, I suppose. There's nothing, there's nothing to nothing to lose here, and there's nothing to sort of almost win really because you kind of expected to win. You know, it's it's not not an ideal situation. But if you can stick out Ayala, get another half, get another ninety minutes in his boots, and, and the same with Besic as well, then. It's only going to serve the team better in the long run. It was just nice to see that Pulis was doing that with both potential first teamers in, in the likes of Besic and Ayala, and as well as some of the young lads bringing through, which you know we all kind of want to see. Yeah, I, th- I think the the team is more what you'd expect. I think it was just against Oldham in the, fe- in the first round of the cup that was a lot younger than we were expecting, and you know we we talked about will he try some of the kids, and they turned out playing pretty much, you know. Eight, eight or nine of the first team were, were kids and then the bench was, was full of light from the under-18s and things. So um, I think that like this is more of a progression to using it, as you say, fringe players, players who will get minutes a season um, as a chance for them to keep up their fitness. But this leads us on nicely to a listener question we got from Tom Muldowney, which asks um, mainly about Wing, Tavernier, Chapman, but there's other players you can apply to that who... Do you think it's worthwhile keeping them around the club so they can play, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten games a season, or do you think it's better for them to go on loans and, and get more minutes? I think for for the individual, and Pulis has said this, and I agree, it's it's about getting them out there playing competitive men's football, as he called it. 
the, the problem <laughs> the problem he has is that he's got to balance it across the squad and he him giving them all that opportunity Tavernier Chapman Wing being the obvious examples he's going to start leaving himself short because the main the senior squad is is shallow and so he's got he's got to balance that up I mean the the, the Blackburn link re-emerged this week obviously Harry Chapman had a brilliant season with them last year they're all very fond of him over there there's a potential that he'll go back there for the season obviously a level up from where he was with them last season which again can only benefit his development I think he's got to he's got to draw the line somewhere and make sure he's not leaving himself short for like we ended on last week the 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 like the, 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 the possibility of us of us pick, picking up the odd couple of games suspension here and there niggly injuries the squad isn't that big so we do need them in reserve and if we can get a little cup run going it keeps these players having opportunities it keeps their fitness levels up without having to take a risk as he might see it and put them into the the kind of the full-on week-to-week grind of the championship so um yeah i've kind of answered both ways there haven't i let's, individually. I mean, let's focus it on um, let, let, let's say we just to look at wing for example who's played more than than any of those three players um Bessic has come in presume you know if we look at the course of the season Bessic is going to play more than than wing will so you'd say he's above him in the pecking order. Wing's chances in the first team have probably dropped quite a lot now, but he's obviously proven in the games he's played that he, he can play there and he, he can be a good part of the squad. How would you handle that with Wing? I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure Wing's that far off. Wing's already got more game time this season than Ledbetter. And I, I think all it takes, you know, while I see more as, as, as Bessic as, as an upgrade on Housen, uh, uh, sorry, Bessic as an upgrade on Clayton, I see Wing as a potential with his sort of passing ability and, and the range of his passing and, and his dynamism in that kind of role. But, you know, all it takes is Housen to get five yellow cards or a little injury from... Which is not, un, not un, unexpected in the way that he's been performing so far this season. The way that he's been tearing around the fields week in, week out. He's going to need a rest at some point in, the, in this sort of relentless league. So I don't think Wing is that necessarily far off the first team. But then you've got, like, McNair... Bessic Ledbetter as well. But yeah, so, he, like, so. well, okay, maybe maybe down put me ahead of, of McNair, but I certainly put him ahead of, of Ledbetter. I see Clayton as being the odd one out here, and I wonder if the reason why Ledbetter perhaps hasn't left is is that he's the obvious replacement for Clayton in that kind of deep sitting role. Yeah. All the other, I don't think Bessic is here to take over Clayton's role. I think he's yeah. to pick up one of the other two, either Housen or downing as it was against West Brom you look at the, the versatility of the squad that Pulis has, has, has built now you look, you're looking at players like Downing who you could easily slot into if, if Braithwaite wasn't available Downing could shift up to play with Britt Downing as he did against West Brom drops into that three or if George moves into the back three Downing can go left wing back same with McNair He's tr- that's the other interesting thing about last night's team lineup is McNair's playing right wing back which is where you mentioned last week Adam that he might that's that's what you think is our cover there. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of depth there, and you think, yeah, you're you're right to point out. I'm not sure will Wing get the opportunities that he deserves, or will his superb early season performances actually serve to get him a a, a much better loan deal than perhaps he would have done previously? I think I, I was so so impressed by him in in everything he's done so far this season unlucky to not be in the West Brom team I can kind of see why Pulis might have mixed that up just from an experience point of view you can see I mean Downing can't be far off first team on the team sheet every week Pulis trusts him with his life I think 
so yes, I think that's that's the most difficult one of the lot, really. Because, like you say, if you do if you do kind of bracket Ledbetter and Clayton for that sitting role, then you've got McNair, Housen, Downing, and a, and a player that is this good or this good at the moment with so much potential to develop as well. Like for me, I think it would be a shame if he doesn't play much else this season compared to if he went out on loan somewhere and could real, make a real impact for the full season. Like, I, I, I think that would be better for both him and, and both us in the long term as well. Having said that, what did we say about Fry? Well, yeah, so I, was, I was about to say that we've been stung a few times recently in the loan window. Mm. But I was sort of expecting players to get in a real sort of, sort of baptism of fire and really come, come through fighting. But Fry played, what, three or four games when he was at Rotherham and then disappeared from insecurity and had to endure some miserable relegation push from, from the sidelines that was with another manager that didn't fancy him. Um, and yeah, that's, that's obviously... Well, that's, a, that's obviously a risk and mentioned before with the loan market, a big, a big key to the success of it is the relationship between the managers that are, that are either end of the loan. What I was, the point I was going to make is that we were saying similar about Dale Fry and how Ayala coming back to fitness can't be guaranteed a place in the eleven just because he's a senior player because Dale Fry's playing so well and mm. I think I think we need to apply the same principle to, to Lewis Wing who's who's played so so well this season like again can't kind of overdo how how well I think he's he's coming almost out of nowhere because he's, he's never really had a well, he's never had a crack at the first team at all and to come in and just slot in so seamlessly look so composed on the ball and settle into that system so well and I think, yeah, I think there were reasons why against West Brom and perhaps the fact that West Brom's going to come straight after Leeds makes uh, makes it difficult to see him getting in again there. But he doesn't deserve to have lost his place in the squad. And, and for that reason, you think, well, applying the same principle, Besic can't just appear and assume that he's getting straight in the lineup. Um, it just doesn't put the right message across to people like Wing. And Could... George Savile think he can walk straight into this lineup if he gets a low deal, which is another centre midfielder we've been linked with heavily this week. Well, yeah, again, it's I'm baffled by the the play, and don't get me wrong, I think he would be brilliant to have. I I, I love the sort of player he is, but you kind of think, are we getting into the point where we're almost like a a Tottenham scenario where if Tottenham approach a player, it's like this player's thinking, especially like a striker, where where am I going to what? you're buying me you tell me I'll have a crack but really I'm going to be sat on the bench behind Harry Kane all season <laughs> players coming in must be thinking like just with the, the pool of talent we have especially in midfield like George Savile must be looking at that thinking well am I really going to get much time there House and, House and Downing have been playing brilliantly they've just bought Bessic in so there must be some sort of assurance to Everton that he's going to get a decent crack of the whip I kind of like I said last week I'm a bit baffled that it's not the, the wing back areas where we're focusing on like specialised wing backs um, I don't really get that so to and there's a like I say there's a lot I like about George Savile but I, d- I don't understand why we're not being linked with specialist wing backs and we're still being linked with perhaps versatile yeah but not that versatile central midfield players yeah I mean I was sort of quite bemused by the George Savile um, links as well you know my, my only conclusion that I could come to really was he's just basically Ledbert but with seven years younger <laughs> like bless him Ledbert is I, I always write him off and he always proves me wrong but I, he does need a sort of a, a long term replacement and someone like George Savile who has, has shown that he's, he is a, a, a dynamic box to box midfielder like Ledbert is 
maybe not as good as Ledbetter in his pomp, but yeah, he he offers a, a viable long term alternative. But yeah, it's just, it's just one that baffles me. It's another one as well. Thinking from Millwall's point of view, why would they loan us one of their most valuable assets? Well, it seems there seems to be a seven million price tag. I think so. You know these kind of loans that are not loans anymore. They seem to be taking part with. Uh, well, so but we had one today with Nathan McGinley leave for Forest Green Rovers, which will become permanent in January. So, so if it's kind of pointless. So if you Neil Harris, I mean, as we we record here on Wednesday evening, the loan window closes five o'clock Friday night. You get that offer through your door, and when if indeed that has happened. Don't you just say, well, no, who am I going to get in at this notice on loan? Scrap your offer, come back to me in January when I've got a chance to spend the money and get a replacement in. He's one of my best players. George Savile scored 10 goals from midfield, one assist last season for Millwall. Brilliant season, one of which was against us. Uh, not one of his better goals, by the way. It was that crappy fumbled <laughs> effort that everyone gives to Housham as an own goal. <laughs> but, uh, but no, he's, he's brilliant. Thorn in our side again at the Den in the first game of the season. Perfect. Pulis type, box to box, does everything midfielder. But I just I can't see why we need that necessarily. If if it's led better win, that's a good point. Then absolutely we need another another yeah. one to fill there. But again, I don't think he's that sitting Clayton replacement type. He's another one to go in those other two midfield positions. So it, I just don't I can't get made around why that's one of the positions we're trying to recruit in. It's 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 wing backs, full backs for me. Yeah, and it's, it's still been fairly quiet. There's only a day left now, so we've had a couple of other links this week. Van La Parra from, from Huddersfield and Rafa Silva from Benfica, who, yeah, valued around 10 million winger. He was in the Euro squad when they won the Euros, but didn't really get many minutes. I think he got one minute. <laughs> <in the world. laughs> still gets a medal. So does any of those take your fancy? No I mean, problem. yeah, I, I, I saw the Van der Parra rumours and I, I, I wasn't sure how to take it because I remember him being at Wolves and being quite good. And then I saw him a match today at the weekend when he was playing, still playing for Huddersfield as well, which instantly put up red flags. Mm. And he looked a bit poor, really. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, okay, he's, he's the type of player and he fills the positions that we do need to improve on. But I think he's just sort of shows a step down we've had from... Like he, he he looks like a very much B option, like a first reserve for Yannick Yannick Balassi. Yeah, I, I I know next to nothing about both of those players, so <laughs> we move on. It's perfect response. But Balassi, speaking of Balassi, he um, he did go to Villa, as we all were expecting. Uh, that was finally confirmed at the weekend. Um, there's more links with punching again, but rumour has it that he's not too keen on that. Um, so we, we'll see what happens over the next couple of days but but yeah I think there'll be quite a bit of movement I think there'll probably be a bit of movement with players out as well um, you look at some of those who featured the other night Fletcher still potentially Johnson played Any anything, anyone you'd like to see move down? Probably Fletcher I think I don't think he, he's there's somewhere in there there might be a half decent player but he's not going to discover it with us he's, he's, he's not he's not going to come good I don't think no matter how long he's, he, he's with us so I think he's probably best him to just find and start again somewhere new <laughs> bless him I don't know it feels a bit, sounds a bit tragic that but like, it's pretty he's, I don't know, he's, he's, it's, it's not worked out has it and the same body with Marvin Johnson as well but I don't think Marvin Johnson was ever necessarily cut out for this level no he showed promise in the first couple of games he played and then <laughs> that's been very generous though like yeah. he, he, he always just 
he, he he's very much a League One player. He could be a big fish in a League One pond, I think. But he he'll he'll never. He was never one to sort of help us lead a charge to promotion. I don't think, and he is one of the sort of glaring failures of Monk's reign. I think. Maybe maybe Gary will get him back at Birmingham. Welcome and to Fletcher. Him. Welcome <laughs> to him. <laughs> it's pretty cutting that. I oh, shite though, isn't he? Let's be honest. <laughs> I just I don't know. I mean, I'm, I know he scored last night. He's still shite. I wonder if I'm. My response is actually even worse. But I, I, I feel <laughs> fairly indifferent about those particular two players. I, I, I can't see them really getting a good opportunity, especially in the league this season. Again, if we have a bit of a cup run, they might be able to have more opportunity there and you just think well is it in their best interest that they're here even if we're kind of struggling is when when Gisted comes back to full fitness does that put that puts Fletcher as fourth choice in my eyes and you think well maybe it's in their interest that they'd be better off getting minutes elsewhere yeah well the good thing is it'll all be sorted by the end of this week so we, we'll never have to talk about transfers again until Two months, three months down the line. It's probably a good job because we're not recording another one for another two weeks. On to the big question. So this week we went for a slightly different tack with a, a, Graham, a Graham question for the big question who asked, um, in light of Man City's excellent Amazon Prime documentary, we're, we're not sponsored, just to clarify. Well, <laughs> we are up for sponsorship. <laughs> if anyone's <laughs> interested. <laughs> From Amazon Prime's listening. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, come on. <laughs> so if we could pick any season from the past that we could have had filmmakers in there making a documentary on the borough, which season would we pick? So quite a lot of different responses this week. Um, Graham, do you want to start? Yeah, Borough Stats suggested that it was so hard to choose between Jack Charlton's record-breaking 73-74 season or Bruce Riock's 1986-87 Rise from the Ashes. Michael uh, at MCWD uh, came in with a very clear, obviously the correct answer is going to be the 96-97 season, but I'd like to see the 15-16 to see the meltdown that caused Karanga to walk out, or the 16-17 moment that actually did it. Paul McLean says 96-97 for obvious reasons, uh, two cup finals, relegation, um, it would be some interesting inside TV too with Raven Coxie on the morning of the FA Cup final. Um, and the inside reaction after relegation and of course all the meetings to, to buy and sell players and fax machines and everything that season had a lot didn't it uh, Andy Carter adds the 2005-06 season would have loved to be a fly on the wall for those UEFA comebacks again against Basel and Stour yeah I think Tom Flight mentioned that that would be perfect cinematically as well I mean you, the story writes itself doesn't it for that one <laughs> Borough Mike comes in and says, I'll go for the 66-67 in Division 3 for our old money. My first season, dreadful start, then doing okay by Christmas, followed by a fantastic run culminating in the famous Oxford United match. Officially, 39,000. Must have been loads more. Remarkable season. And for the younger listeners, we've looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was the last game of the season at home to Oxford United. Uh, in Old Money Division 3 uh, seen as a bit of a rise from the Ashes game which we went on to win 4-1 with a John Hickson goal and a John O'Rourke hat-trick yeah like I say it was seen as a bit of a start of the Borough back in the big time Borough back in the big in the time Division, Division 2 <laughs> but yeah some, some great pick outs there I mean whenever you talk about Borough's past it always comes back to 96-97 doesn't it there's 
I don't think there's many clubs that have had seasons like that. You know, <laughs> absolutely for, not for all sorts of reasons. There was a few other honourable mentions. So I think generally around the Robson era, you know, having the likes of Merson, Gascoigne around, um, Gazak crashing the team bus, all of these things that would have just made for for great TV as well if if the cameras were there to catch it. My personal, I think I'd go along with the 96-97 season as well, just because, almost as much because it'd be good to see if it was kind of how I remembered it. That was my second season as a season ticket holder. I would have been like 11. So it's kind of, to me, it was just this fascinating, unbelievable kind of fairy tale story. I know we got relegated, but the kind of the highs and the lows of it, the sort of players we'd attracted to the club at that era, the way we were playing, like just everything about it was just, just a ridiculous story, wasn't it? I remember reading an article like not that many years ago, looking back to that period and just like, Giannino was playing for Borough in the Premier League. This is ridiculous. And it's only kind of really starting to happen again, that kind of thing. Like when, when you look at Wolves now and players like Ruben Neves playing for Wolves in the in the Championship, this this guy who's yeah. captained his country at every level and, and captained his club in the Champions League before that. And you think like, only now are we starting to see these examples of something as ridiculous. And it was just, yeah, it was just insane. So it'd be good to kind of, I'm sure there'd be a few blanks to fill as well because uh, obviously quite a while ago. So it'd be good to have that, like all the bits that maybe I'd missed, little pockets through the season. You think, ah, oh, yeah, like just <laughs> give you a proper clear picture. So that would be perhaps not the best reasons from my point of view, but that's my personal choice. James? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm as bit later to the party than you two guys are so I suppose my, my recollections have to be a little bit more recent obviously the, the, the Karanka walking out would have been utterly compelling television yeah. it, was, it, it would was have been from... remarkable I just remember being sat in the pub on the Friday night like texts flying in from sort of WhatsApp groups and things like that and, and rumours on Twitter have been like yeah Karanka's walked out it was it's remarkable just, just from like, the outside never mind yeah, the inside like, could not no, no one knew what was going on we all knew we were going to the game next day in Charlton you know, there's, there's a fair few things organised and things like that, but no one knew where he was. He went completely AWOL. And, and, and rumours were coming out left, right and centre about he'd been sacked and he was walked out and, you know, he didn't want to be there anymore. And some of the players had started a revolt and a lot of few, a few player names that have got good standing at the moment were dragged through the mud. And it did, was carnage. Did, it was absolutely carnage that weekend. Did anyone ever go on the record about what? what happened no yeah that, that's, that's an autobiography that's the next in about 10 years isn't it yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you've got to wait for um, and, and my only other suggestion was just well I was trying to think of something a little bit more off apart from the obvious answers was have been um, the, the, the Moby era and then how Moby was trying to G up this side through that second half of the season where we just lost every single game <laughs> and just to see how I mean, I presume he would have been trying different things and trying different tactics and trying different team talks and things like that. But just to see how from it started so well for that first half of the season when we finished on, on Christmas on the top of the league and then just to watch it all fall apart into some sort of like, if JJ, JG Ballard did, did documentaries <laughs> and football sort of thing, like just to watch it all go to shit. Like. Yeah, I, I think that that's the big difference, like, that would make from our entertainment. So you look at the the Sunderland documentary that's coming up. Um, that's that's going to be phenomenal, I think, compared to City, where you've got dramatic moments where you know, like Crystal Palace equalising the twentieth minute with a header, dramatic music kicks in, you know, 
worried faces around and then City going to win it like 6-1 <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that's about the, the level of drama you get in that documentary because you'd have Darren Gibson writing his car off and slagging <laughs> yeah. his teammates yeah. drunken rage and yeah. <laughs> Darren Gibson doing 15 pints and shouting at people yeah. kicking off in oh, a social yeah. club in Sunderland <laughs> So yeah, I, I do. I can see the value where where like that kind of more race season would come in, but but yeah, really good question, and we'll try and think of some more <laughs> like that uh, for next week. So we, we put them out on Twitter uh, before we record. So do get involved in there and, and send us your opinions. We also ask for listener questions. Um, this week we've got a few to cover before we'll go on to talking about leads. Enrichus mentions around Pulis saying that he thinks that Steve Gibson might have a bit to say after the window closes in full next week. Any thoughts on what that might be? So this was something that Pulis mentioned in one of his interviews. I think it was pre-match West Brom that um, the Gibbo might come out to say something after the window shut. Um, you know, it could be related to how we didn't haven't got targets over the line um, and, and reasons for that. So do you think he will? And do you have any ideas what, what you could come out and say? I mean, the only thing that we've got really any sort of surety about in relation to all of this is, is the way that, well, any surety, as much as rumours that go around are, um, is, is Gibson pulling the plug on the Bessage deal. Hmm. I mean, the, the only thing I can think that Gibson might want to say is he's just, just almost sort of a rallying cry around the other sort of chairman and the other football club owners. It's just how much it's completely gone crazy. And how much people like Gibson and other similar football club owners that aren't foreign consortiums are just getting taken for a ride with these kind of things. Um, in terms of the, in terms of sort of the footballing side of it, I mean Gibson's always kept out of it, really. I know he does, and, and probably rightly so, view himself as having something to say on football and having some, and having earned himself an opinion through the time he spent in the game. It's that I'm not expecting things to be too detailed. I think he'll he'll just maybe even issue some sort of statement about how it's just all gone crazy I'm still mortified about the last time our chairman felt the need to come out and explain (laughs) (laughs) the fact that genuinely I think it it was kind of just like a shame that we we put him in a position where he he felt the need to explain himself after everything he's done and that season yeah alright wasn't great but the, the, the outcry and the kind of hysteria around it and him feeling the need to have to come out after that last home game against Southampton was it nil nil one one draw nil nil draw one one and then be interviewed by Neil Madison uh, just I just uh, everything about that was wrong to me and and the well, he idea, did, he done it he done it three months earlier after Cranker left didn't he yeah so they, really coming out any of it, the happens. idea that he felt he felt that we put him in a position where he felt the need to have to come out and explain himself or explain just yeah I, I just I was just I didn't like anything about it to be honest. Um, and so the idea that after after this window and the way the club's going and the way we've started the season that, that, that he might want to or have to come out and do that again is just, to be honest, a, a little bit sad. And um, I mean, he might, for his own reasons, might want to come out and fair news. Like, I don't think any Borough fan would ever not want to hear from Steve Gibson, but the idea that maybe he feels like he have to, like, just... Makes yeah, me seriously uncomfortable. Does he want to come on the podcast and say it? <laughs> the offer, the offer is there, Steve. Steve, if you're listening, by all means, join us. <laughs> I, I do think your, yours is a good point, James, about the you know saying it to other chairman. Like when when Gibbo talks, people listen, and is you know you, you kind of get like kind of CEOs 
putting out statements to influence stock markets and things like that. So whether that will whether that'll have an impact on it, it could make sense business wise for him to come out and what did you come out and say? I'll tell you what, this Marvin Johnson that is mint. <laughs> <laughs> Just come out and say, Listen, I fucked best of Jason off. He still signed for us a month later, saved an absolute <laughs> fortune. Everyone should give it a go. So yeah, we 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 see what happens there, if anything. On to Leeds then. Um Nick Donnelly's firstly asked what would our midfield trio be for Leeds? It's a real sticky one, that, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, Leeds, Leeds have been ridiculous so far this season. And we'll talk about it more in a moment. But the, the, the dynamism and the speed they move the ball around, it does make you think that you do need some kind of, not necessarily pace, but some kind of intelligence and football intelligence on the field. So for me, it'd be Besic, Housen and probably Downing. And I'm determined to put Besic in that house in that Clayton role, but <laughs> he's definitely not going in that. Clayton, <laughs> he got, he's the least he's likely of all of them to go to the last ten role. minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I don't think the team will change from the West Brom game. Okay. Uh, I think it was his uh, his most trusted team. The system worked perfectly. I can I know Leeds are a completely different proposition to West Brom. They can play they play a completely different game, but the way we played, the way we set up our defensive system, I think could and will work against against Leeds like that. So I, I, I don't see any reason why you'd want to change it. I for some reason I feel like Downen might go back out to left wing back, and maybe George will start centre back. Ooh, maybe really? or maybe maybe not but then Wing might play because Wing didn't feature at all midweek and he's you know a bit more pace a bit more dynamic um, and it gives it gives us more options with the starting 11 if you've got Downing and Wing there it can it can give us more options to you know change it up as well that's a bit out there but well no I mean I think I think one of the one of the battles of this game will be in the sort of the wide areas yeah, and if we have you know if we have friend at centre back, he can then go out to wing back down and can, you know it's. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, some of, some of the Leeds' biggest threats this season have been from from obviously Barry Douglas, who they've signed from Wolves. who was has been a phenomenal left back and uh, Klitsch, the guy who plays a right back for them. Like, yeah, yeah, who, who, who's who's been fantastic and he's even got himself a few goals this season. That run running battle between Shotton and whoever we play. Left back is really, I think, going to decide the game because while our midfield, I'm t- relatively confident with whoever we play, be it House and Besic and Clay, and be it House and Downing and Clay, and um, be it any, any 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 of the three sort of options, we'll be fine in the mid. But it's just these these wide areas where someone's going to have to work really hard to keep an eye on. Douglas and Glitch, and I'm not sure that putting Downing out there is necessarily going to work. I don't know. I was watching watching the game the other day. And it did remind me of when Downing had played left wing back before in an away game at Crystal Palace. If <laughs> you remember that, oh, and that it was, was awful. atrocious. <laughs> we went it was honestly the worst performance I've ever seen in my life. It was Maxi Hass levels of terrible. That was that was the three at the back there, wasn't it? Yeah, three 0 We got beat. That was bloody awful. That uh, no, no, it was. Just one nil on it. Either way, basically, remember we were relegated. Yeah, it was it was rank that. Similar to West Brom, Leeds 
will have a lot of the ball. The highest average possession in the league so far this season, just over fifty-five percent. They're also the highest pass accuracy, which says a lot about the sort of the sort of movement that they're doing. It's short, it's sharp, it's quick. What I think I'm most impressed about with what Bielsa has done so far is how how the, they seem to they seem to have they seem to play with this familiarity like so quickly. I, I don't know how he's managed to make this group of players, which a lot of whom have only kind of recently been assembled. He's made them look like they've been playing together for years. They all this the system he has is is so kind of clever and detailed that. These, these players, some of whom were strangers not that long ago, all of a sudden know where each other are going to be, like the back of the hand, like the speed of the movement, the speed of the passing, the, the sharpness of the passing. Is I think we just need to be... The flip side of it is that, that, that what we've done against Bristol and West Brom has been so good and is, is the best form of defence for it, I think. That, that, that kind of two deep banks of defence... That, that kind of mid that relentless midfield pressing engaging them high up the pitch like we did with West Brom to make them look so ordinary on Friday night I think that's the way I, I'm feeling good about this regardless of how I mean Leeds have lit the place up this season it's been so so good but they let up a couple of good opportunities against Swansea midweek last week it ended up being a two-all draw Swansea arguably could have won that they're there to be got at. We, I think, for all their attacking intent, I think we still have a very good chance of winning this game. The fact that we're away from home as well will suit us very much. The way the way we the way we set up against West Brom at home, um, I think will will suit that suit that very nicely. I mean, yeah, picking up on your point as well, you know, they 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 got handily beaten by Preston. I mean, maybe it was a bit of a wonder goal by Brandon Barker, but they're not impervious. They've still got some of the same players there. In, in key areas that we can really hurt that they had in last year when, when we when we tonked them at the Riverside okay admittedly no when we went to Ellen Road it was a bit of a shit show and one of the nails in the coffin of Gary Monk but I don't think that they're impervious and I just don't think you know they, they, they're, they're counting on and obviously Leeds fans love a bit of chat on Twitter and they're always shouting their mouths off but they're counting on results like the Stoke result at the start of the season which Stoke have turned out to be very poor and the Norwich result Norwich aren't a, not, aren't a good team as as good a team as you want yeah okay a 3-0 a 3-1 three, three win away is, is, is a great result in any any sort of thing but doesn't necessarily mean they've got the quality and I think with our performance against West Brom as well we can probably match anybody in this league if, if we play like that and if we show this is the biggest the, cer- the certainty and the assertiveness that, that, that we needed to, to get over that result and to look to never look in danger and to never look I mean I'm doing what you just did now I'm really talking myself just into right, this right I'm just come like on, come, come on, on. come on come on no I agree I think it's I it's, think it's right. yeah I mean the, this the, is a West Brom side that came into the game against us off the back of a 7-1 win and we completely neutralised them we can do that against Leeds the, the, my worry is if they start to break the, the speed of movement and roof that kind of clever intricacy of Pablo Hernandez. If they start getting in behind us and moving our back three around out of position, then we're in trouble. Yeah, but, but if we can hold them out, then we're laughing. It's the speed. They're it's no the speed they move it around. That's the the worry. They they move it around super fast. Yeah. You know, they go from front to well back to front so quickly. Yeah. Um, and that can cause you all sorts of problems with yeah. with runners everywhere. And um, we just need to be super disciplined. Super and disciplined. Fit, which we are. Um. So yeah, I, I I think we definitely they're definitely there for the taking. It's just we will need a really good performance. This game's always got a nailed on red card though, hasn't it? I'm not sure if I had yes last year, but in the past few years there's always been at least one red card and 
thoroughly together, isn't there? Jason Steele, Karanka's first ever game. Yeah, Tony, I remember Tony McMahon and Joe Bennett being sent off against Leeds. Either way, it's a chewy game, so discipline is going to be is going to be paramount. And they've got a, a couple of other players that we should mention. Really, is Kemar uh, who had who's had a fantastic start to the season. He's he's keeping Bamford out of the team, who's you know a ten million signing from us. He's had a few minutes off the bench, but Roof's been fantastic. He's got four goals, but he's been involved in pretty much everything they do going forward. And then Pablo Hernandez as well. He's um, he's got talent. Bielsa come out and said he's the best player he's ever worked with, which is. <laughs> Mad <laughs> bullshit, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he scored last week and he is a good player on his day. Hernandez, uh, one to watch out for. Are we, are we just can't? I know we've just mentioned it, but we're pretending that Patrick Bamford doesn't play for Leeds anymore because that's gonna hurt on Saturday, isn't it? It's gonna be, it's gonna be tough watching him come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not gonna be nice. I mean, we wish him all the best, but not on Friday, not on Friday, yeah. He won't start. Roof's been in two before. No, I agree. Yeah, no, I think he'll be a later second half. Yeah. And they, they did lose midweek in the cup. Um, Bamford, Baker, and Harrison, three three players who were at the borough last year, all doing themselves no favours, uh, losing 2 0 to Preston in the cup. So none of them have really had that much of a look in. Um, so I'd be surprised if any of those started. Uh, Bamford might prob- probably will come off the bench. Talking of the Leeds game, James and I watched the West Brom game in the dog and truck in Aldgate in London. If any of you are going to be down here on Friday or any of you are based down here, get yourself along. Brilliant little pub, loads of Borough fans in there. It was a brilliant atmosphere last week. I had to pick five blokes up off the floor last Friday night when I Alice Cole went in. So it's a great little pub, big screens, uh, decent beer, pies, etc. Get yourself along. It's a great atmosphere in there for what is bound to be the biggest game of the season so far. Thank you so much for listening this week. We've been the Borough Podcast. You've been Graham Kirby. Thank you. You've been James Howell. Thank you very much, Adam. I've been Adam Garnsey. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.